Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What up, Ty Roxon here. Today's episode is with the great Rick Snyder, and we're talking intuition. We talk about the difference between intuition and instinct how to apply intuition to your business, to your personal life, and to your social life. And then we also dive into what exactly that means when you're in, when you're hiring, when you're firing. And we end up the conversation with the power of asking the right questions. Love this conversation because it was multidimensional in the sense that it not only covers the US-based approach, it covers a European-based approach and a multicultural-based approach. So Definitely check it out, especially if you're someone who wants to be a coach, a writer, a speaker, a consultant. Check it out. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode of Ask And today's guest is Rick Snyder. I have an intuition. It's going to be a great one. Rick is an international business coach, writer, speaker, and consultant. He's launched three businesses. He's an expert in mentoring, training, and teaching others how to utilize the process of bringing intuition into an effective business plan and company culture. His breakthrough strategies have been implemented by executives in businesses in Europe, Canada, Asia, and America. He's lived the past few years in France, and that is something that's always very uh, special to me because I speak French. And he brings a global perspective to his teachings. The coaches of Three Hats, which is his company, are coaching representatives of E-Myth, the globally known brand that has a worldwide presence and reach in over 145 countries. Welcome to the show, Rick. It's a great pleasure to have you on. Tayo, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Ah, gosh, I'm, I'm so excited. I don't even know where to start. So I guess I will start where I normally start off with my, my other guests Take me back to the very beginning. Little Rick is thinking, I am here in this world. What am I going to do to leave my imprint? What, 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 where are your turning points? You know, I've always been interested in human behavior and, and wondering the big questions like, why do we do what we do? And why do we think the way we think? And that led me down the road towards psychology. And so I remember in high school, I took a, my first psychology class in California and it really just opened my mind to this whole other world of, wow, we can actually study and 
learn about why we do the things that we do, our behaviors, our motivations. And so that really eventually led me on my path to always want to work with people and try to help them break through their stuck places, including my own. And, uh, and then also the world of coaching was a natural extension from there. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny that you say that, you know, you've always thought that. So when you started to see that you maybe, okay, you're curious about the world, psychology, people's minds, I want to figure out how to get people to be better and coaching. Where you, you were born in the States, right? Yeah, I was born in Arizona and grew up in the Bay Area. Okay. And I have lived, though, as we spoke earlier, in, in Nepal and India, and then I'm in France right now as we speak. Okay, no, I was going to do it. <laughs> I was about to do it in French. But, yes, uh, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I love that you said that. So, but how does that, how does one translate that to a university degree and then venture off into, um, you know, what you do right now? The reason why I'm asking that is because I've done this podcast for, I want to say, almost four years now. So, since 2014 in August. And a lot of times the audience, they're, you know, 25, 34, 18, and 24. Um, that's around the, those are the two biggest audiences. They're, they're very interested in making an impact in the world. But a lot of times, a lot of them have what I always call the supposed to syndrome. They feel like they're supposed to do something, even though it's not what they want to do. In your experience, were you enabled to do what you do right now? Or did you find that you had to break through what you thought you were supposed to do to eventually get here? I definitely felt like I had to break the norm and really listen to my own drum beat inside. And here's an example. Um, you know, I went to University of Washington in Seattle, studied psychology and English literature. And I had this moment of, I want to keep growing, but just going right back to school didn't really fit for me that way. And just going right into the job world also didn't fit for the way that I wanted to grow. And what eventually came, which is actually was an intuitive hit for me, was to travel in Asia for a year. And that's when I lived in Nepal and uh, a little bit in India and the Himalayas and had the most incredible time of my life, really growing in a whole new way of seeing other cultures up close and really learning about myself and how I navigate the world in a whole different way. Mm, mm, that's right. Uh, okay, so now how you navigate the world in a whole different way. And then you came across this process of what you call intuition. Now, intuition has been around for a while, but why do you use intuition in a different way than others? Right. So I would say something, once again, in high school came online for me, and I call it my inner compass or my intuition. Yeah. And it's kind of like my inner decision maker, basically, mm -hmm. where you know when you really kind of get out of your mindset and sink into that deeper octave, that deeper space, it's that gut feeling that we have. And I think your listeners will relate to this. Think about when you've been in a relationship for too long or maybe a career or there was a direction you knew you needed to go and it didn't maybe make sense to your head or logically, but there was a deeper feeling of like, you know what, it just feels right in my bones. I don't know why, but there's just this feeling that's not going away. So that's what I'm calling intuition, that, that decision maker on that level. And so I've been, it's been something that I've been refining over the years and I actually bring it into businesses and into company cultures, because I'm now a business coach. And so that's one of my passions, is how do I actually ignite the intuitive intelligence in the different uh, teams that I work with? Yeah, now, and that's, that was going to be my next question. How can one basically leverage that gut feeling into making the right hiring or firing decisions? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So I would say the number one thing is we have to slow down 
and we have to disrupt our normal, rational thinking. And so here's a true story. Steve Jobs used to actually walk around barefoot in Palo Alto, California, around his block, you know, a few blocks around his office space. And that act of literally stepping away from the computer, at, at the time they didn't have a phone they could put down, so you didn't have right. to worry about that, right? <laughs> he, he hadn't invented the, uh, the iPhone yet. Um, but at that point, he still was able to interrupt his normal day-to-day thinking and then start to open up to that deeper subconscious mind where he's able to take in new information and have literally outside-the-box thinking. And so fast forward now, you have companies like Google, Zappos, Apple, etc., that are actually bringing in people like me or other kinds of um, alternative, um, I would say, thought leaders or disruptors who are trying to help staff literally think outside the box. Thinking outside the box. And I, I remember even you using Steve Jobs there. It was using, um, I study a lot of speeches and I, I just see how people get to their point of view. And in his Stan, uh, Stanford speech, where he was mm-hmm. talking about connecting the dots backward, that's what he talked a lot about what you just said. And I think, I think a lot of times, you know, especially with him when he got fired and then he came back, he had he started following his intuition more because he didn't he didn't necessarily see the iPhone as, as just a phone. He was like, I feel like the world needs something like this, and I'm the one that's sort of the innovator in this. And I have to trust that my my thoughts are enough uh, for people to buy it. And then ultimately, obviously, it led to you know what it became. You know, the iPhone, i you know iMac, i everything, and that bravery is something I've always been fascinated by. The bravery to be yourself one and to just follow that in the midst of opposition. And, and it's interesting that you say, you, you say what you say when you're thinking about hiring and firing, because when, for someone like me who works with companies and in, in diversity and inclusion, a lot of their intuition is, is conflicted because on one hand, they want to fix diversity and inclusion because they don't know, you know, like, well, maybe I should just hire someone from this race or from this gender right now. And then it will grow into that culture. And on the other end, they have the intuition of, is that fair? What about the, the, the qualifications? So how do you handle that intuition crisis in that situation? Yeah, you know, actually, it's a, it's a really good question around, um, imagine this. Imagine someone has the perfect resume, the perfect background. They went to some Ivy League school and this and that. Mm-hmm. But, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be a fit for your culture or, or your teams or even with your clients. And customers. So that's really where the intuitive piece is really helpful in bringing that into the interviewing process where, of course, you want to do your due diligence. You want to look at their background. You want to look at their experience. You want to talk to people they've worked with in past, uh, past jobs they've had. So all of that is completely valid. I'm not saying get rid of that. Of course, we need to do that as well. What I'm saying is, and in addition to that, how do you also listen to your own social intuition um, that, you know, your gut sense, your heart sense, as you're feeling this person in front of you, and then are you able to pick up on all the nonverbal communication? Have you developed your emotional intelligence? Are you bringing that into your decision-making along with all the other data points? Yeah, no, no, that, that, you know, that's a good thing. I mean, I think what you're saying with those things is that it's important to ask ourselves even deeper questions in those scenarios because maybe what's masking as uh, an intuitive crisis is, well, are we actually looking at alignment? You know, maybe we, we yes. might be um, confusing our, our thoughts and saying, well, it, it feels like I'm making a decision based on that, but then we really need to challenge ourselves more and say, well, why, 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 why? And then uncover 
if you truly hire for the right culture, then the diversity and inclusion will come about because that's what you have believed is your company culture, not as a you know quick fix. Right, right. And, and one of my favorite uh, maybe approaches you could say around this is with, when it, from an intuitional perspective is list, asking the question, what wants to happen? Yeah. You know, what wants to happen across the table right now between me and this person? What wants to happen in this negotiation? What wants to happen in this sales conversation? Mm. And, and if I ask that question, I naturally go to a more meta perspective where it's not just about me, 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 me. And, you know, serving my needs or whatever that might look like in a negotiation or a sales process, but literally go into that we space where I'm actually asking, okay, what wants to happen right now? How do I surrender my agenda for a moment and really open to that bigger space where maybe something creative or something innovative can actually happen here? Yeah, I love it. That's amazing. No, that's good. This is good. And so in, in, in your, do you have any case studies with companies that you've worked with in the past? For sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What's the what's your favorite story? Because I, I imagine, obviously, someone like you who's a dynamic international business coach, where you coach across continents. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always curious when you're working with different clients from different backgrounds or different um, countries. If it you find yourself having to tweak, or do you feel like the intuition is basically your intuition model is basically the same across all cultures? It's a good question. I think it's maybe a little bit of both. Um, I think. Part of intuition is being in the present moment. And so here's my sense is that intuition does two things for us. It helps us read out what's happening right now in real time. It also helps us anticipate the future. Mm. But we can't anticipate the future if we're not present first. We actually have to get present to all the data that's happening right now. So to your question, if I'm in a different culture like – you know, a lot of times I'll go to the UK or um, some, you know, I've been to South Africa. I've been to many different places where intuitionally I have to pay attention to that culture. I have to pay attention to how things work over there. Um, and if I just come from my old pictures, my old frame, that's actually going to get in the way. Yes. So in order to really listen on that deeper level, that active listening, I have to some, I have to be able to put some of that to the side and say, okay, I, I, I think I know what I know, but let's see what I don't know. How can I lean into what I don't know in this conversation or in this uh, training that I'm leading or that I'm part of in some way? And so that's where I'll learn a lot from. That's where I like to ask a lot of questions. And I, I will learn a lot from the different uh, cultures and companies that I'm working with. Here, here's a really fun example. I was in Guyana, South America, right near um, Brazil. And I was working with the company for four or five days or so. And part of what I do is I interview all the key stakeholders in the business because I get so much of a bigger picture than just the leadership team by itself. And here was one, here was one intuitional moment where um, there was a security guard, a late night security guard who was probably in his 70s. And his name was actually Fingermon because he had broken his finger when he was a little kid and it never healed. So it kind of bent out of shape. And uh, they just called him Fingermon ever since. Um, and so that's how they all referred to him. And, and so my CEO that I'm working with says, hey, Fingermon wants to work with you. Would you just entertain him and just interview him? Because I think that would just help him and that would feel good to his self-esteem. That was how it was introduced to me. So I said, sure, let's, let's do it. So I sat down with Fingermon and I interviewed him uh, to get some feedback about how he saw the business and what, could make, what, what kind of improvements could be made. 
he actually gave me some incredible insights that no one else had ever talked about. And I had interviewed the management team, the leadership team. So me just trusting the what was happening in the moment and just listening to, yeah, it just feels right. Yeah, let's, let's talk to this guy. And it ended up bringing a couple pieces around some of their retail operations that no one else was addressing. So that, that was an incredible moment of just you know surrendering to the moment and trusting that there was a bigger picture to serve, basically. Now that's, a, that's a great example. I love that. And even one of the things that you did there is um, you listened, right? Uh, yes, exactly. Um, I think that's one of – I just wrote an article on that. Actually, that's one of the most underrated um, – and underused things that we have, you know, the, the cliche is you have two eyes, uh, two ears rather than one mouth, but yet we, we use our mouth way more. But I'm, you know, I'm curious when you're obviously, um, you're infusing this into co- company cultures. What are the keys to being a good listener in your opinion? How do you hear what's not being said? Because that's the most important. Yeah. You know, once again, I think it comes back down to nonverbal communication and, and that takes practice. You know, this takes time and practice. I had a lot of training. I was training as a therapist and a life coach before I got into business coaching. And so I had a lot of experience working with people in experiential settings and working with paying attention to the nonverbal cues in the room or in a group. And I think that's so important. So any way that you know any of the listeners out there can expose themselves to any kind of training where you actually get to practice, even, Im- even comedy improv yeah. yes, is such amazing training for being in the moment, for listening to what's being said or what's not being said, but it's still being communicated. Yeah, you know, I've interviewed a few people who do yes and, right? You know, instead of, um, um, that's improv, who basically just adopt that mindset into the companies. And they say, instead of making it such a binary solution, we're going to make it a yes and thing where I'm adding to what you're saying. Even though we disagree, we're going to find some level of common ground where you feel like you're being heard, and I feel like I'm being heard, and we're working together to a common solution. So, you know, here, here's a really cool exercise I'll throw out. Um, imagine you're at your family's dinner table when you're a little kid, and here's the I bet you can still retrieve this. What was the subtext that was not being spoken at that table? In other words, what was the conversation underneath the conversation? The conversation underneath the conversation when I was having dinner with family? Yeah, um, man. I think for, for me, just because of the way we grew up, it was the fact that wow, we're here. Everybody's here um, mm. in one place. So there was, um, it's like there was like how long? Maybe this is like the first, only time we're going to do this in the next five years or so, because everybody's mm. going to go up to to that. So there was just that, yeah, like a feeling of gratitude and wonder about the next time this could happen. Exactly. And so that's that's a good training. You can even do this in hindsight where you can imagine or replay a conversation you had in the business or even personally and start to feel, hey, we, we talked about this, but what was the actual conversation we either avoided or, or the one that was actually happening uh, un, uh, subterranean underneath the uh, table, you could say? Yeah. Wow. Subterranean. I like that word. I'm adding that to my vocab. Subterranean. What was that? Yeah. Because yeah. so much communication happens, especially in business where you know, the salesperson is saying something, but maybe they're not even listening to you. Maybe they're already thinking about the close or they're thinking about their sales quota, but they're not really with you listening to your concerns and to your hopes and dreams. You know, it's so interesting you say that because 
with sales culture, right? It's always, you know, there's that Glenn Gary Ross movie, ABC always be closing. So in a sales culture, a lot of people are wired that way. I, I know, you know, when I, my first real job outside of college was, was a sales job that I didn't know I was going to get. I thought I was doing social media and, you know, my boss came and said, you know, you have to make a quarter of $10,000 a month. And he gave me some accounts, right? So the idea that I had then was like, oh, gosh, $10,000, sell this right now. I don't know right. that a lot. Yeah, I think a lot of people go to the close first. And I, I, I don't know that that's incorporated into the orientation process. If that, if yeah, in my, in my, in my, so Tayo, when you and I come up with a sequel to that movie. Yes. <laughs> we're going to call it, we're going to call it Always Be Listening. Ah, <laughs> I love that. It, ABL, always be listening because, and I think this is an interesting generational gap right here where I think that that was the old school way to do sales. Yeah. I, I think Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, they, they captured it actually very accurately at that time. That you know, it was a lot about that kind of bravado and kind of pushing through the sale and being more confident than the other person and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that stuff just doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And so for me, what sales 2.0 is in this newer generation of sales is, is it's actually relational. You actually have to get relational. Speaking of relational, and you, as someone like, like you who's an American who works, now lives in France and works in, in all these countries, relational is super important, not even just for you to work with clients, but for you to, to interact on a daily basis. Now, it's intimidating for some people. Um, maybe listening who says, if I go into a new company culture and I, then I go into a new country culture, I have to deal with multiple levels of relational skill sets. I have a feeling you're going to, your answer is going to be, you listen, you listen as well. But I want to know if you have some practical pieces of advice for ways to build connection across cultures while doing business. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think one thing is it's good to do a little research on where you're going. Let me give you an example. Um, I've actually worked really deeply with the Hasidic Jewish community in there in Brooklyn. Right. And that's a completely different kind of cultural with cultural norms that are very specific. And, you know, when I first started, I was a little intimidated in that I didn't know all the customs and I didn't want to offend anyone. You know, one example is, you know, men and women do not touch. And so shaking hands is actually not okay. And when you're in business, that's usually the first thing you do. And so it was really important to ask some friends who knew more about the Hasidic culture than I did, just some of those kind of tips. And even just doing a little bit of, you know, search on the, on the websites about, okay, what are some, you know, cultural no-nos? What are some things that are, that are actually great that the culture respects? I think, I think that's a very good first step is to doing a little bit of your homework that way. And then as you say, um, you know, always, I always like to confide in people too. When you're meeting, you know, your business owner that you're working with or a management team, you can even admit, hey, I, I, you can kind of play the, the, uh, ignorant card because it's actually true. Like, hey, I don't want to offend anyone and I don't want to offend anyone here. And if there's anything I say or do, please let me know if it's, uh, taboo in any way. And if there's anything I should know before we get into this meeting or before we, I meet your team, is there anything I should know? Yeah. Yeah, no. And I, and not just the not just like the red light stuff, but the what are the green lights? Like what are the things that are also, you know, culturally advantageous that are actually a big a yes in the culture. And so I think that's important also. Yeah. No, I have one of my one of my friends 
who's um he's from Israel. Uh, uh, so he's yeah, he's Jewish as well. I remember because he was um he was talking about how he was um using his Jewish heritage when he. Connected. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. But when he was doing business in Japan, he said he made a very similar statement. I, you know, obviously you did the research first. Um, actually, I shouldn't say obviously because not a lot of people actually do that. But you should do the research first. But when he got there on the table, he made that comment. He was like, I, there's a high chance that I might offend you, um, you know, inadvertently. And yes. I, I want to apologize ahead of time. And I, these are my actual goals for this meeting. But it's not because I'm trying to overlook something. So if there's something, please let me know ahead of time yeah. during the meeting. I won't be offended or whatever. Um, he found that him saying that sort of let that let people into his um in the circle even more because they they thought that you know there's a stereotype for foreigners whether you're an american or or jewish or someone that you can be imposing your culture into someone Uh else but when he said that that you know brought down the wall and um that moment of humility for him is something that has always worked with him in uh, particularly asian cultures so he's he said that that's something he always tells people to do you know, this is a, a big point here that I, I want to just tie in really quick, which relates to intuition and relates to listening, a lot of the themes we've been talking about today. And it's being willing to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's such a powerful thing. And act, you know, here's the counterintuitive thing is when I actually am genuine with that, I actually, uh, people come across as more confident when they don't, when they're, when they can admit they don't know than to pretend they know. Yeah. <laughs> that is so right? true. That is so true. It's counterintuitive, but it's the exact opposite. It's the truth. You're right. Yeah. A lot of times in you know in a business today, we have we have to feel like we put on this exterior, we put on this facade that we know the answers, and if we don't, then we're going to get passed up by maybe team members or or our competition. Mm. But but once again, if if relationality is really the ticket to the new generation of business, yeah. which I think it is. Yeah, um, that's going to inquire. That's going to require being authentic, um, you know, being um, transparent in these different ways when when appropriate, uh, and it's going to require that kind of that audacity to say, "Hey, I, I don't know," or, or "or I need some help." Yeah, yeah. And if, if I could add to a couple of things to to your thing, I, I always I always tell people to feed their curiosity. I think mm-hmm. a lot of us sometimes, like you said, we get intimidated by our own maybe for lack of a better word ignorance and so we feel like we need to keep it in and we sort of just filter we sort of just add that information that we actually is not filter we um 
put in the pieces of the, to the puzzle of the ignorance with things that we might have heard from someone else instead of actually doing our own work, which is the research and what you said first. And then in that process, that arrogance of not being willing to ask or be willing to, to see as, as someone that, that might be, um, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, dumb, we do ourselves a disservice because we act on unconscious biases that mm-hmm. do end up hurting one, the business, but potential relationships. And the reason why relationality is a great point is we live in a global, the most globalized time ever and the most digitalized time ever. In order for us to actually bridge this divide where, where there's a global divide or globalization or take advantage of the full um, arsenal that we have here, we are going to have to understand that because we're getting exposed to so many differences at a rapid rate, much more rapid rate than previous generations, that culture clash is going to happen more and more. But the way that we turn those clashes into bridges is if we say, oh, I learned that from that experience. I learned that from that experience. Here's what I can share. And here's what I can go back to my, my community with. And I think if more people adopt that mindset of, of, hey, I need to feed my curiosity. I don't know anything about the world. The world is bigger than me. But I will be able to have teachable moments that I can then translate to my kids, to my school, to my community. I think we will probably be in a better place. 100% agree. And I'll just say one thing about that, that I think that is the bridge is that we're, none of us really are in silos anymore because of technology, where if something happens in some village in Rwanda, we can all find out about it that same hour, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so that's just absolutely incredible with the technology today. And then here's what I want to say on the other side, is that Sometimes I think people forget that it's very different if you're just relying on technology to stay connected versus the real thing, versus really going to Rwanda, going to these different places, having real interactions with real people in real time, for me is always so much more meaningful and deeper, even though it's great to be exposed to things through our, you know, the internet. But I think sometimes people forget, oh yeah, um, uh, there's a difference between a friend and a Facebook friend sometimes. <laughs> No, you're right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, the people forget the social is social media. I think. Right. So what I do with with social media, and I always recommend people to do is, if you ever have an opportunity to, you know, it may maybe like I live in New York City, right? So a lot of times when people connect to me and say, "Hey, um, I feel like we have mutual connections" or something like that, if we're ever in the same country, I'm always like, "Hey, um, I'm, I'm in town. Wanted to know if you could grab lunch or if you grab dinner." I always try to take it to that level because um, there's a very big difference with meeting someone in person and meeting someone online because um, it's just a, it's just a different experience. And I'm sure you've, you're a speaker often as well. So I'm sure you've um, experienced situations where people have said, you know, I've always seen you online, but when, when I just heard you talk and I just came here to talk to you, it's, it's, it's interesting to see you in person or it's refreshing that you're this way. Cause I wasn't sure I was a little intimidated online, but now that I see you, I see that you're like a normal person like me. Um, yeah, those experiences have happened to me a lot, and I'm just, I, I just want to echo what you said because it, I think um, meeting someone in person, in addition to um, social media, is how we can amplify that true experience of globalization. Yes, well said. I agree. Yeah. No. All right. We're, we're almost getting ready to wrap up, but I want to talk a few, about a few more, a few more things here. So, um, you talk about since you're in France and you do a lot of um, work with European countries. Would you say that? Um, the European approach to different to building a uh, company culture is different um, than it is in America. I would say it is different, but it's changing all, very fast, also, and, and it's I think becoming a little more Americanized. Uh, here's some examples. Um, 
I know some companies, let's say like in Dublin, Ireland, where it's actually banned to, to bring in your smartphones to the lunch hour. Wow. And they actually, in a way, force people to connect, to have conversation, to get to know your, your peers. Um, and, and you don't, and even in France, like typically you don't see people eating sandwiches in front of their computer during lunch hour. You don't see that. You see, there's a there's a much there's much more of a uh, inclination to be social and to connect, and I think that makes a big difference in culture. Company cultures feeling closer, um, people actually wanting to hang out with each other after work. Um, and, and imagine how that supports, you know, when conflict happens in the in the culture, or you know, you're going through a stressful launch and you have to depend on each other, and you don't have the same kind of patience as normal. It goes a long way, I've seen, when companies build that time uh, to get to know each other and just to bond. And so I see that much more in Europe right now. But saying that, I, I've recently seen with some of the tech companies uh, that's starting to change and is becoming a little more of the get stuff done. We don't fully have an, We can't do the two-hour lunch anymore like they're used to in France. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, I, I was, that was going to be my next question. I was like, has anything changed or is this still uh, the same? But that, that's interesting about the phone thing because I think a lot of us are we're married to our phones and we do business across. Um, you know, sometimes I've been in meetings where I might have had four client deadlines and it wasn't my turn to speak. And I'm not saying that I did this, but I probably snuck a few texts or emails <laughs> under the phone <laughs> because I knew it was there. But um, I know that that takes me away from the meeting. So that's definitely um, a habit that I'm working on. Um, three Hats, that's the name of your company. Why do you, what does that mean? Uh, yeah, two different things. And so um, the Three Hats are the three different services that our company offers. And so we do business coaching, training, and consulting to small to mid-sized companies around the world, uh, U.S. and also abroad. Uh, and then here's the other meaning is it comes from the e-myth, uh, which is the entrepreneurial myth, the famous book that came out by Michael Gerber uh, in the mid-90s. And so the e-myth is the three hats of a company that have to be represented in order to be healthy and thriving. And it, the three hats are the technician, the manager, and the entrepreneur. Mm. And a lot of times a business owner or leadership team is stuck, still stuck in their technician hat where they're just doing it, doing it, doing it themselves, and they haven't learned how to scale to the manager level or also scale even further where they're, they're working towards their vision and that's really clear, and they're doing that higher level of strategic work. And so what we try to help companies do is basically move into how to scale beyond themselves out of that technician role so that they can move into more of their manager and their entrepreneur to move their business forward. Gotcha. No, that's good. That's good. I love that. So the three hats, that's where that comes into play. Exactly, exactly. Huh. It's really around scaling and, and recognizing where are we strong in our company and where do we need to build better systems and also better training as well. No, solid. I, I love the use of names like that. Um, and I'm also uh, a punny guy. Oh, um, sorry. I'm very corny. I forgot to give you that warning ahead of time. Sorry for everyone who just heard that. But since we're talking about um, what your company does and you help solve a lot of, of you know, challenges in business, what do you feel like is a business challenge a lot of people go to today? And the reason I'm asking you this is because I was reading, I was doing research on you because you do amazing work. And 
you said in one interview that you believe our biggest challenge right now is being smart about when to say no, especially in early phases of new businesses. Now, I know that you mm-hmm. can tell a lot of companies and you, you know, you probably come across this a lot where people want to say yes because it's the funding, it's this time, it's this opportunity, this partnership. How do why do you think that's the biggest challenge, first of all? And then how can we overcome that? Yeah. So yeah, I was gonna say I think time management and overwhelm is one of the most common themes that I see in today's world. And so part of that, as you say, is the ability to say no. And the idea here is that if I don't trust my no, if I don't if I don't trust that I can actually set a boundary or set a limit, then how do I know that my yes is actually authentic? <laughs> right? I might just be saying yes to every opportunity, but I might not actually be behind it. I mean, how many listeners out there have taken on clients that they intuitively knew would not be a good fit? And they end up taking 80% of your bandwidth in capacity uh, and you knew it ahead of time, right? And so that happens a lot. Or even hiring someone, it's the same idea. And so how can you start to learn to trust the wisdom of your no uh, when you get that sense, you get that feeling? And for me, this is where a business really grows from, I would say, more of like an infancy level to more of like an adolescent or adult level because adolescence is when you really learn how to say no. You don't just say yes to every everything that your parents tell you or that culture tells you. You start to find your own way. And to me, when a business starts to find its own way and define who's our right client, who's our target niche market, um, what are the right products and services we should be focusing on, what, what do we need to say no to, to me that's a sign of business maturity. Yeah. It all comes back to intuition with you, sir. I don't know. I don't know how you did that, Rick. But <laughs> <laughs> all, all, ro- all roads go back to Rome here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but th- that's that's uh, that's how you know someone's actually living out his, his true mission. Because I mean, it's, it feels like whatever you do at your personal level, whatever you do at your professional level, it, it um it always comes down to the same thing. So um, you assert that intuition can be taught, developed, and refined. And you, you make the a distinction between intuition and instinct. So that's something I've been uh, trying to, to say. Wait, isn't that instinct or isn't that intuition? I've been trying to say that earlier in the interview. But I want you to, if you can, distinguish between the two. Between instinct and intuition, sure. Yeah. So, of course, there's a lot of overlap between the two because they both uh, involve a certain feeling, a certain sense. Here, here's how I make the distinction, and the reason why I did this is because I'm writing this book on bringing intuition into the business space, and I had to really tease apart, you know, well, how is intuition different than thoughts? How is it different than our emotions? How is it different than instinct? So that we can really get a corner of what this is all about and how to start to develop that skill. And so to me, instinct, the main difference is this. Instinct is all about safety. It's all about survival. It's about um, being able to, you know, locate any immediate instinct is, here's an example. Let's say a baby is uh, on the doorstep of a burning building. It's my natural instinct to just go out and not care for or think about my own well-being for the moment. Or at least it's so rapid, I just instinctually choose to save that baby. And I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking about all the, you know, next moment ramifications or this or that. I'm just going on exact impulse and it has to do around that level of safety and, and survival. Where for me, intuition is actually much more than that. It's not, just, it's not really just about survival. It's about things like you know, emotional intelligence. It's about 
if, if I'm intuiting what's going to be uh, the best thing in this presentation, or if my audience is really listening to my sales pitch, and maybe I need to change it on the fly. Like I got a great story in my book where a guy's at Facebook launching his experimental program to the company, and right away in the moment, he got rid of his PowerPoint and just started talking to them like a two-way TED Talk because he read out the audience in real time with his intuition and knew that the old school PowerPoint was not going to work with this crowd. And to me, that's not really about survival. That's not about um, a burning building. It's not about safety on that level. But it is about how do I optimize this moment? How do I bring these gifts in and, and listen to what wants to happen? Wow. Wow. Huh. I've never heard it distinguished that way. Because I, I honestly, before, I, I sort of just operated using both words interchangeably. You know, follow your instinct, follow your intuition. It's the same thing. Um, but I think, yeah, you're right. That, that distinction is something I never really, really thought about because I just, it's just, I, I, you know, it's just something I just always said. And you mentioned a book. Have you written a book? So I, I have a book that's coming out. It's being published. Uh, it's coming out the early 2019 and it's on this very topic. Um, and so it's called The Invisible Edge, How Companies Use Intuition to Jump Ahead. And is there a way we can stay in touch with you to sort of know when the updates are? Yeah. So if you tune into my website, it's threehats.com. And that's three spelled out, uh, dash hats, H-A-T-S, dot com. And if you go onto my website, there's actually a free ebook that is all about intuitive sales and how do you bring intuition into sales. And so if you're interested in sales and how to develop your intuition in the sales conversation, uh, get your free ebook that way uh, on my website. And then also we'll give you a taste of what I'm going to be writing about of how do you bring intuition in all these different parts of the business like we're talking about today into your team culture, whether that's hiring, marketing, sales, leadership, management, etc. Awesome. Awesome. That's threehats.com, right? Threehats.com. Threehats.com. Uh, Rick, before we close, I one of my favorite things to do is to study leaders, study speakers, study communicators. You know, my, I feel like my purpose here is to try and see what I can do by developing and building the next set of global leaders. And I like to, you know, when I come across people like you who have similar passions, I'm curious to, to know who your favorite leaders are. You know, um, mine were, you know, mine are Oprah and the late Nelson Mandela, but who are your favorite leaders in the world, dead or alive? Dead or alive. You know, right now, as we're talking mostly about business right now, but people who are breaking open the business conversation, I think Simon Sinek is, is one of my favorites out there who's really just disrupting um, you know, how people think about leadership and purpose and the deeper questions that people, the businesses should be asking. And so he's one of my favorites. Uh, Bernadette Jiwa in the branding space I think is doing some incredible work out there. She's from Australia. Um, Brene Brown I think is doing amazing oh. work around emotional intelligence and um, yes. all the incredible work that she's bringing into with so many different realms, not just business. So those are some of the people that I tune into and just am continually impressed by. There's so many more, but those are a few. Yeah, those are three solid people. Um, and um, Brene's book, Braving Through the Wilderness, is one of my favorite books that I've read in a long time. So uh, definitely, definitely note that. I know you talked about where we can find you. You said threehats.com. Um, and, you know, you obviously work with companies as well as individuals. Can you talk to, as we close here, can you talk to um, someone out there, 22 years old, just got out of college, had a bad first experience with um, his job, and 
is really, really lost right now. Doesn't know what his purpose is. Doesn't even understand, um, you know, why he spent all that money in school. What would you say that person should focus on? Uh, good question. I would say, first of all, trust, uh, trust what you're feeling. That and, and really listen to what didn't work for you in that last job. Even write that out. You know, take a, take your notepad uh, or what, what have you, and actually write out all the things that you don't want ever again to experience in your company culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then write on the opposite page. You know, what are the things that you do want? And that's going to start giving you some directionality when you move forward. Um, and but here's the interesting part too: is is not just to only fixate on what's going on out there. But also to look at yourself, like how did I not like how I showed up in that job? What was it on? What was it on my side of the street that you know didn't really work for me that I want to change? And then what would that look like going forward? So you're also looking at your inner game, not just the outer um, environment. I think that could be a good place to start. Thank you so much. And if if anyone is is listening and and wondering things that you can really peel off from this, I think one of the things that I've even um, heard, you know. The legend Rick here um, acknowledge and, and, you know, harp on is the idea of knowing how to ask the right questions. So ask the right questions to yourself, ask the right questions to for, you know, people that are in foreign environments, ask the right questions to your boss. But if you know how to ask the right questions, you can you can find a better way to find alignment, whether it's with your inner purpose, with your inner desires. But it also will get you to the truth behind a lot of what you know a lot of us have amassed or hidden, you know, uh, before, whether it's through bias or through um, trying to meet expectations that we never really had in the first place. So, um, yeah, I would, I would definitely take that to heart. So thank you for that. The, the mission statement of this podcast is use your difference to make a difference. That's, the, that's my foundation. Um, mm. that's, what I, that's the basis of my company and anything that I do. I truly believe that everybody has a self-worth that once it's tapped into, it can be um, powerful. And, 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 and there's something that can be amplified. So I'm curious, Rick, how you use your difference to make a difference. Wow, that's a really good question. Um, I love this the book. There's a book that's titled Be Yourself Because Everybody Else Is Already Taken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that is, I think that's one of the ways I try to do that is, you know, I, I try to really keep, you know, being as authentic as I can be in my business relationships and my personal relationships and maybe here's one thing I would say that I think is a difference maker for me is I don't think there should be a difference in how you show up personally, in business, romantically, with friends, uh, you know, hobbies, your, your community. You're, you should be you everywhere you go. And if you notice that you're acting very differently in a certain part of your life, start getting curious about that. Because to me, um, the, the true you Yes, you will sometimes have to adapt to different conversations, of course, and things like that. But the essence of who you are shouldn't change. I, I and so to, I, yeah. me really, you know, trying to listen to that for myself and noticing where do I go off the mark? Where do I, you know, take on a different shape? And then I start to look at that like, oh, that felt weird. Why was I acting like that at that dinner party or that thing? And then continually course correcting back to coming back to myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that you said that. And thank you for being who you are. This has been a great conversation with Rick Snyder. Rick Snyder is the um, lead singer of the cover band 
Three, uh, no, sorry. Um, <laughs> Rick's not Are you trying to recruit me now? <laughs> Rick, Rick is the CEO of Three Hats, and it, it's an amazing company that it really, really, I, I would say, goes to the heart of what it means to be successful in business. And it's not one-dimensional. It's not two-dimensional. It's multi-dimensional in the sense that it works across cultures. And so if, you, if you're ever looking for a way to apply intuition to your sales team, He's your guy. If you're ever looking for a way to apply intuition into yourself as an entrepreneur, he's your guy. And if you're looking to apply intuition as a leader or a communicator, um, he's also your guy. So that is three. I said three things. Three hats. Perfect. Oh you nailed gosh. it. Did it. So <laughs> let's stay tuned for our upcoming um, sequel to Grand Guy Grand Wash, where we'll be shifting the model from ABC to ABL. But ladies and gentlemen, Thank you so much for um, listening to us. And till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.